0: what is infidelity what is an affair it is an emotional and physical relationship between two people which of its very nature requires secrecy however secret matters are rarely concealed forever there is usually a moment of either discovery or disclosure and when these occur there is massive anger guilt and insecurity You may wonder, can a marriage survive an affair? I'm Dr. Alan Campbell, and this is Watching America.
1: Today's program includes discussion of mature topics and may not be suitable for all listeners. From WHRV in Norfolk, Virginia, this is Watching America.
0: On the 19th of May, 2018, to the accompaniment of resounding English church bells, the world beheld the sight of a beautiful young African-American bride, Meghan Markle, marrying His Royal Highness Prince Harry. It was a scene to rival any fairy tale, an ideal setting for promise and pageantry. And as with all weddings, those who witnessed the ceremony both near and far wish the couple the strength to always love and stand by each other. We will see Meghan Markle in all her splendor. And it looks to be an exquisitely cut traditional dress with a splendid veil. Meghan Markle, the bride, is wearing her hair up.
1: I, Harry, take you, Megan, to be my wife.
0: I, Megan, take you, Harry, to be my
1: husband. From this day forward, from this day forward, to, for to have and to hold, to for richer, for,
0: for poorer, for richer, for poorer, Galen,
1: for better, for worse,
0: to, to, to worse. love and, and to love and cherish, and to, to love and to cherish, till death us
1: depart, till death us according to
0: God's according
1: to God's holy law, when the night has come
0: and the land is dark and the moon is the only light we see no I won't be afraid, no I won't be afraid just as long As you stand, stand by me So darling, darling, stand by me At some point in every marriage, after the vows and honeymoon, there comes the harsh intrusion of life, with its vicissitudes even to the extent of disappointment in each other. Can a couple survive the severity of hurt between spouses? And can they choose to stand by each other even in the throes of betrayal? And yes, even infidelity. Stand by me. Stand by me. Stand by me. Stand by me. Indeed, it was a happy occasion, Prince Harry and Meghan Merkel getting married. The whole world rejoiced, and I hope still is rejoicing. Certainly, it's a phenomenal move forward for the royal family. We all enjoy weddings, but perhaps you've had the experience of sitting in a wedding, or watching, observing a wedding, even on television, as we've just stated, and having some concern for the couple in the future. It's not that you want to necessarily be a buzzkill and be pessimistic about everything, but you have had your own experiences where you know that marriages are sometimes less than ideal. Well, this is a factor not uh, in any way remote or distant from my guest, Dr. Christine Bacon, PhD. She is the author of The Super Couple, uh, which is a really a formula for extreme happiness in a marriage. Now, before you think, and I say this with reverence and respect for my guest, that this is a rather glib assessment, let me tell you it isn't, because she deals with very serious matters. And today we're going to be talking about infidelity. This is a subject that she has first-hand experience with, for she herself fell prey to being involved in a relationship with another man when she was newly married. And this caused her actually on an academic and spiritual pursuit uh, to the point that she decided to make the focus of her PhD program, her doctoral program, an examination of why affairs happen and how marriages can survive affairs. If you are perhaps involved in an affair, if you have had an affair, or if you are even toying with the idea of having an affair, or perhaps fear that your spouse may be involved in such activity, this is a show for you. I want to ask you, what made you decide to be so open and honest and earnest about what in an earlier era may have caused you to have had a scarlet letter A placed on you?
1: I think the biggest reason is because when you hide things, they eat away at you. And when you expose things, you realize they don't have the power over you. And a lot of times when you hide things, it's because of your own fear, your shame. And so part of why when I started studying marriage and communication, it's because of these feelings I had and these feelings that I had hidden. And to just a tweaking of, of my Ph.D. doctorate, it was my dissertation was humor as a communication strategy in, in marriage. And so it was actually in studying happy marriages that I found my passion to go after further these couples who survived infidelity as well.
0: So you learned two things, correct me if I'm wrong. First of all, that happiness truly is attainable. Absolutely. E- even in the midst of horrendous near wrecks of a marriage.
1: I've met people who are victims of domestic violence who have chosen to S- sustain their marriage after breaking apart and having the separation, get back together. And they've had happy long-term thriving marriages, which is very culturally, mm, it's countercultural right you know to stay right. with someone but you because have i can
0: imagine right now i'm being just completely honest with you there are people right now who will be angry because of what you just said because they'll see true uh, even though they don't know the case studies even though they weren't involved with the individuals like you were they would say to themselves oh here's a woman recommending that a, a woman nope. be set upon be go right back to the situation that she came from because they cannot even entertain the idea or envision right. that things can change right but you've know that they can.
1: Absolutely. And I'm a big proponent of separation, as well as a proponent of reconciliation, because separation alone will wake up one or both parties in the marriage to say, what the heck did we do here? Where do we fail? And many times, but especially in cases of infidelity, the offended party typically leaves. And the offender, in this case, me and thousands of other people the offender typically learns his or her lesson but then when they would like to take this new and improved me this post infidelity me this hopefully humble me and I'd like a do-over many times the offended spouse is cut and run I'm out of here I can't be hurt like that and culture typically tells us you deserve to be happy get out and we do understand that This, this guy cheated on you this woman cheated on you cut and run When you realize the consequences, well, first of all, so the new and improved meat had my husband cut and run, would have been taken to a second spouse, and he would have reaped the benefits of the lessons that I had learned through my own separation, my own infidelity. And so one of the things I talk about in in this is saying, let's look at this for not a lifetime decision, but a moment in time where there was a break.
0: Tell us, how did it happen? you had your wedding day you were excited you i presume had a white dress you had flowers you had music you had a reception when did things Mm -hmm. start to go sour
1: when i had the affair (laughs) that's what people usually go huh so affairs aren't caused by unhappy marriages and i can even cite some of dr john gottman's research affairs are caused by loneliness and drudgery pretty much i'm just in a pattern a holding pattern so i was a happy marriage so I like to say, and I mention this in my book, I got married in 1983, passionately in love. I love you. No, no, I love you more. No, I love you. You know, <laughs> it's like, yeah. I can't wait right. till I get to wake up next to you every single day for the rest of my life. Wouldn't it be nice if we were married? That's then right. Then we wouldn't have to wait so long. That's right. <laughs> wait so long for what? They yeah. don't wait for well, that Well, I won't anymore. have a singing career.
0: Don't wait for that.
1: <laughs> so we got married, and then four years later, I filed for divorce, so in, in 1983, I'm passionately in love, and in 1987, I'm passionately in hate, okay, praying so for this guy to why die. Why
0: are you passionately in hate, praying for this guy to die? G- Here's g- the irony. Yes.
1: this is This is infidelity. Infidelity causes you to believe you never loved the person in the first place. And I will go over the 11 hormones that shoot through it because everybody you will meet, 100%, this is 99, this is 100% of the people that you meet that have suffered infidelity have all said, I don't remember loving you or I never loved you like this. Because the hormonal changes in the brain are causing you, especially the vasopressin, which is known as the monogamy hormone coupled with some of these other hormones that cause amphetamine high and risk taking and a lack of irritability you you couple all these emotions together and so when i focus on this vasopressin the body creates this monogamy hormone to have you hyper focused on the attraction of, on the object of your attraction So I would ask you, when you were pursuing your Christine, I don't know if you know that Dr. Alan Campbell's married to a Christine.
0: Right, The the, the first Christine.
1: The first, yeah, Yeah. not this one. Yes,
0: in my case, the primary Christine, I need to clarify. The only Christine. Um,
1: (laughs) When you saw her, met her, had feelings for her, whatever it was, you had a pursuit. And I would argue you probably found... A desire to go after her.
0: Yes. And I want to say something that I I often will share with students at the university in class when this topic comes up, which normally doesn't. I don't mean infidelity, but just women in general. It is my ardent belief that women constantly want to be pursued.
1: Absolutely. And
0: therein lies the mistake that most men make. They think, I've got the girl, I've got the, 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 the regular social life with her, perhaps intimacy, marriage... And then they relax. Mm-hmm. And you can't do it as a man if you want to be successful. You have okay. to constantly pursue because I think most women find their worth in the continual pursuit. Am I, am I naive and wrong
1: in this? No, there's a chapter in the book called I Want to Be the Center of Your World. And when I write in the next edition, I'm going to tweak it a little bit to incorporate gender differences. Mm-hmm. But women are attracted to being pursued I just met with a couple I do marriage coaching and I met with a couple who the wife was happily married to her husband still is and yet when she got a job after 20 years she found herself in bed with her boss and in the middle of the act she stopped and she's kind of like what the heck am I doing right so they decided to work on their marriage they contacted me and they the husband was a good forgiving guy and he was a little bit irritated but she said I don't know how I did this because I'm happily married. right? And I said to her, women are attracted to being pursued. And her light bulb went off. And I can't remember if she said first or if I had said that first. But this guy was pursuing her, making moves on her, making her feel attractive. And even though she had these needs met at home, affairs aren't about my spouse isn't giving me sex or, you know, she's too fat or he's too this. Is that loneliness, drudgery, that being in a pattern? And I've checked the box. I've won the pretty lady. I'm good. Now,
0: correct me if I'm wrong, but the two requirements for an affair to begin with is proximity. Mm-hmm. Okay, to be do you have absolutely closeness and time, and and just that actually chronos time. You have right. to have time and proximity. Okay, are there any other circumstances by which an affair can be fueled?
1: Low boundaries. Um, And so if you go back to my own marriage and what you go to a lot of couples who deal with this, I hold these standards meetings and one of the women in the group is a preacher's wife and he had the affair. Mm. He used to teach when he counseled his people Mm -hmm. at his church. He used to come home to his wife and get angry. How can people have affairs? How can people who go to church have affairs? Don't they know this is wrong? And then he had an affair. Right. Right. And so he's got this inner turmoil kind of going, what the heck did I do? But, but clearly, I, and you rethink your, your thinking. Maybe I never really was in love with my wife. And so I don't know what his faith is doing and all that issue, but I'm sitting here saying, here's someone who believed in fidelity to be wrong. Mm-hmm. And what I find with a lot of preachers is that they have such low boundaries because they believe they're happy with their spouse. So so there's I, no
0: defense mechanism. I don't
1: need it. Right. I'm the preacher. I come in. I have all these women, men come to my office. I counsel them. And then it's, as you said, that proximity. It's the time together. It's the access to. So in this particular case, like many cases I've run into, he didn't let's, have boundaries.
0: Let's talk about the loneliness. Uh, because there are a lot of people in marriage who are feeling mm-hmm. extremely lonely, okay? Um, a, a type of intimacy which goes beyond the bedroom and sexual activity. What is the remedy for that? To preclude, first of all, even the possibility of... And I guess really, based on what you're saying, there, there never is a way to fully preclude the possibility you of infidelity. Right. Okay, but, but, but what is the remedy for that loneliness, that psychic loneliness, that, that s- spiritual, emotional loneliness...
1: How do, how, do they re,
0: how do they reconnect, couples?
1: Well, so emotional, you have to recognize the loneliness. You have to recognize that you are lonely. And you bring
0: it to the spouse and you say, I am lonely, He is why.
1: Yes, that would be ideal. But the sad thing is, is we don't often know until after we've had the infidelity what would cause me to do this?
0: So how did you justify going back to your own... Walk us through. Okay, what, so let me... Yeah, let's do that. It's easier that way. Because there's a lot of people saying, for heaven's sake,
1: you're, you're going, what happened? You're circular, Christine. Yeah. Okay, so we got married in 1983. I was 18 and I was pregnant. And we had only known each other for two and a half months when we married. I slept with him after knowing him for two weeks. I got pregnant the first day we had sex. Mm-hmm. Which is why I tell all these you know, kids in this hookup culture, it can happen. Right. So... So we got married. Um, I thought, you know, back in the 80s, you, you're you not just going to be pregnant. This baby mama, baby daddy thing wasn't a thing. So I married him. And I did believe I was in love with him. He was a good man. And and so we married. We had our first child. And I remember the trauma. I was embarrassed. I didn't want the family to know. And, and I had to, you know, my grandmother had to find out that I'm pregnant, which means I was having sex. So all the embarrassment. And I remember watching Lucille Ball back then and how she had her baby. And I always said, I want to do over. I want to do it the right way.
0: I've got to interject. I make it So the audience doesn't know how young you are. Okay. She's not talking about having watched Lucille Ball back in the 1950s. And I, no, no. no there, you were watching them many decades later in syndication. <laughs> right. So I'm 54 otherwise, years old okay, and I love al- the reruns. Otherwise the audience wouldn't know. Yes. Go ahead.
1: I loved The Ideal. You know, you get engaged, then you get married, then you have children. And I did it all backwards. And as my daughters grew, I always said to them, do it like I did, but do it the opposite. Get in, get engaged, then get married, then have children. You know, get your college degree first. Right. Did it all backwards. So he's deployed. I'm excited. The typical excited wife. I have our two-year-old daughter. Can't wait for him to come home. He comes home. We're extremely happy. We moved to New Hampshire. And it's like, we're going to start having a, we're going to plan to have a child. We're going to do it the right way. And the right way is the Lucille Ball way. We're going to, you know, actually be off birth control. We're going to conceive intentionally. We're going to surprise the family. And this child will be born out of a choice to have her, not out of an accidental pregnancy. And I'm about to say on the air something I don't think I've ever said on the air. And I don't even think I've ever said it to you. And it's certainly not in the book. Um, so your listeners maybe. Quite shocked that I'm being so transparent I was six weeks pregnant with our daughter and was so excited about this pregnancy and then I got a job and I meet this man who was unattractive was missing a front tooth he was nothing I'd ever be attracted to but he preyed on me he was 10 years older than me mm. I was 21 mm. you know so um, had I seen it coming, had I had any kind of wisdom, it would have been great, you know, but I didn't. And so I'm thinking, you know, the typical, you can be friends with people. I'm very happily married. I'm pregnant with Dan's child. And so as this guy starts preying on me, I catch myself in this, you know, the typical affair. Oh, my gosh. Now there's actually something here. What do I do? Do I pursue do I go back home and cut this off, or do I pursue this? It went very quickly. And so I was actually pregnant with my child when mm. I first broke my marriage vows with this man. And it was something, the shame followed me for years, which is why here it is 30-some years later. And it's the first time I'm mentioning it.
0: I've known you for years, and you've never told me this. So why would I? Yeah, to be exactly. To
1: be pregnant with your husband's child and, and having an affair with another yes. man is, is th- I can't think of any greater shame. Maybe right. prostitution, maybe. So... My husband found out about it. I broke it off. The heart was still involved. We gave birth to our other daughter. The heart was still involved. And I decided in my mind, intellectually, well, you're not, you can't love both people. So I must have never loved Danny. And I'm not one of those. I made a mistake in having an affair, but I'm not one of those that wanted to play a game. I wasn't going to cheat and then... Um, You know, lie to my husband on the side. So I I had what I thought was integrity, and I still kind of, it's like, Danny, I can't lie to you. I'm going to stay with this guy. And so my husband was brokenhearted. But the good news is that he deployed. So we were living in New Hampshire. He had to go to South Carolina. I stayed in New Hampshire. And that was very good because I got to be without him. We didn't have cell phones and texting back then. I think we barely had fire in the wheel, you know, those old days, right? (laughs) Smoke signals. It's something like that. Yeah. Yeah. So the time apart is very helpful today with this interconnectedness of, of Facebook and all the social media where people are constantly following only fuels the fire. So if you lead into what can heal from an affair in the later part of the show, really time apart is good because now I had time to live with my mistake. I'm with this I don't want to say what I call him in real life, but mm-hmm. I was, you know, he was part of my dark years. Right. So I'm with this guy who is just completely not for me who used me, who took advantage of me, who caused me to go into a depression.
0: With the conversations with yourself, Christine, what were you telling yourself? I mean, were you recognizing that you were being used by him?
1: Not until about two years. Okay, I'm going to ask
0: you a very particular, Mm -hmm. important question. And I hasten to say that I asked you before we did this program if I could ask you such questions, and you said that I could.
1: I gave you full permission. Okay.
0: Was the sex good?
1: No. No. Not at all. Statistically, when a man has an affair, his wife is more attractive than the mistress. Uh, Women, there's no stats that I know of on looks. It's not even about sex. It's about that love cocktail Mm -hmm. that I can discuss with you that takes over.
0: What's the love cocktail? So the love
1: cocktail... The love cocktail is defined by Dr. John Gottman. And for those of you who don't know who John Gottman is, he's the grandfather of all marriage research. He has a love lab in the state of Washington where he can actually predict with statistical accuracy which couples are likely to divorce. Your doctor, you know that if you can predict a repetition of anything at a 5% accuracy, that's statistically significant. Mm. Gottman can predict up to a 90% accuracy. 90. Just sit with that.
0: Wow. That's
1: Which couples are likely to divorce within five years. And he looks for, I, I, it's a whole different radio show. Looks for the four deadly horsemen of the apocalypse is what he calls them. But so his, he's very credible and he's got thousands of studies and he's also studied infidelity, and he writes about the 11 hormones that elevate in our bodies when we fall in love with someone. So, the same hormones that caused you to fall in love with your wife, that caused me to fall in love with my husband, are the same hormones that are activated when you have an affair. Well, I need to rephrase that. You allow the hormones to be activated first, then the affair happens afterwards. So some of these hormones, I'm not going to tell all of them to you, but your body and mind are flooded with these hormones, and so one of the hormones is DHEA, which produces a natural amphetamine high. Just stop.
0: Right there. One hormone,
1: a natural amphetamine high. But let's couple that. The pheromones are your sex sense, which are smell and attraction. The oxytocin, it's a, primarily in females. It's called the cuddle hormone. And this one also, ready for this one, it reduces fear. And good judgment.
0: Oh, boy.
1: Right. So many a backseat of a car has had an infidelity, has had your teenager when you were raising your sons. You know, you're like, you better make sure you're doing right because you've got that oxytocin elevating. And so if I'm not afraid, and how many people, which another show we can do about why sex education in schools is really counterproductive because they focus on teaching people about condoms and and birth control, when really we need to teach them that your prefrontal cortex is not yet... Developed, right. and you've got an elevation of a hormone that's saying, oh, who, "Who who cares?" And I'll, I'll take a risk. But let me let me keep going. So that's your oxytocin. It reduces fear and good judgment. P.E.A., which spikes at ovulation, and what it does for the woman is it spikes approach and romance. So now my body is actually producing chemicals to say, "Please approach me." Your estrogen, which is responsible for softness and receptivity, testosterone, primarily found in the male, though the women have it as well. This is responsible for aggressiveness, sexual desire, and lust. The male brain lights up for sex six times more often than does the female brain. Your, your brain is wired for sexual activity. So when women joke and say men are pigs, I'm like, let's just stop there. Men are not pigs. You, you appreciate the fact that he desires you, that he sexually wants to procreate with you. Right. But um, you know, don't, don't get on him for his physiology being different than yours. So in, a difference, in addition to the testosterone, um, serotonin, which is responsible for emotional sensitivity and low irritability. Now, look, this, this always cracks me <laughs> up, right?
0: Low irritability.
1: Nothing you do yeah. annoys me when I first fall in love with you. Yeah. Oh, go ahead and
0: you chew grind like a your teeth. Cow. Oh, how oh, my sweet. Th- it's adorable. I love your teeth grinding. <laughs> <right.
1: And> then- <laughs> you scrape your fork <laughs> on your enamel of oh. your front teeth. How cute. Six months later, if you don't shut your damn mouth... <laughs> <laughs> You're gonna annoy the heck out of me, right? Yeah. So yeah. it it's it's very. We have to understand that this isn't just because you're so cute, you're the right person, I'm in love with you. We have to understand the chemical reactions that are taking place that are causing us to not see things that the logical brain would see when these hormones are not elevated, when they're back to the normal position.
0: So what what activates it initially, though? I mean, with this gentleman that you were involved with, albeit with a missing front tooth and uh, being 10 years older and not particularly attractive.
1: Compulsive liar. Right. And
0: compulsive liar.
1: Nothing about him was anything that I was ever attracted so how, to. So he, just, the the mere, pursuit.
0: The, just the pursuit again. The that pursuit. That was it. We keep going back to the he pursuit. He wouldn't
1: leave me alone, but he did it. He was still a communicator. He was still a human. So when the love cocktail, a good thing to know is that not everyone can set off Alan Campbell's um, cascade of the love cocktail hormones. Not everyone can set mine off. Only a certain type of person, which is so funny if so, someone ends up leaving his or her spouse. Is it now? You always hear the
0: proverbial thing that we are subconsciously looking for our mother, subconsciously looking for our father. You know, basic Freudian aspects. Is there any truth to that? Is or, or no?
1: There is, but there's a whole different radio show. It's almost okay. like it repeats what I know of myself. My father was an Archie Bunker, very sarcastic man. I loved it. I love my dad, mm-hmm. but I found myself attracted to other sarcastic men so it's qualities i think so i think that's more what it is and they they do was there
0: a quality in this man he was funny that was it yeah he is a good
1: communicator other than the fact that he was um you know a compulsive liar so right um when i analyze when i study infidelity i always ask my clients to what are the qualities that did initially attract you to this individual as just someone to communicate with you know even the sexual relationship and and infidelity though we are attracted to those feelings of the love cocktail elevated heart rate and all that the sex was extremely selfish it was all about meeting his needs Mm -hmm. and not meeting my needs now i'm not saying all all infidelity is like that there are some people where the Both parties are fully invested in meeting the needs of physical, emotional, sexual of the other one. In this case, he wasn't that type of a guy. So here's the thing about the Love Cocktail. It wears off. I'm going to test you, Dr. Campbell. How long do you think it takes for the physiology of the Love Cocktail to go back down in the body to normalize? Give me a time frame.
0: Well, I'm tempted to say just because of being privy to the information you just gave me in the audience two years. But I would say there was a... Sobriety in relationships mm-hmm. that kicks in, in in about six months.
1: You're good between six months to two years. So if couples understand when I work with my clients and I say it takes a great, almost incomprehensible level of humility to take or consider taking back your spouse. But if you sit back and realize this love cocktail will wear off. And I, if I were Gottman, I would change it to the lust cocktail. Right. Because yeah. after the love cocktail yeah. wears off um true love sets in
0: you are listening to watching america we'll be right back
1: you are listening to watching america today's program includes discussion of mature topics and may not be suitable for all listeners
0: We're listening to Dr. Christine Bacon, who is the author of The Super Couple, a formula for extreme happiness in marriage. That is not an overstatement. Um, and I also have the added privilege of being able to call Christine my friend. You're listening to Watching America. And now we're going to segue forward to the realization that you want out of this situation and you want to make amends. How did that happen?
1: So I ended up ditching the other guy, and I had the benefit of staying in new hampshire by myself with my two daughters my husband who was deployed and i was figuring out things about myself why did i have an affair what caused this you know self self self-analysis and so i had this time to build my life in the meanwhile my husband who had been so offended by this infidelity which as any spouse would.
0: Understandably so. Sure,
1: instead of being angry and nasty and calling me the names he called me at first, which quite possibly I deserve the names, though maybe, maybe not, he humbled. He he began to look at himself. What could I have done to be a better spouse? He started pursuing me. And this is where infidelity, people are listening to this right now going, you Excuse know, me, oh, say that no. again? Yeah, yeah right. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't want to swear on the air, but it's like yeah. n- n- heck no, would I do that. But it was that pursuit that my husband seemingly offered an olive branch and I refused it, not because it was him.
0: Did you refuse it out of pride?
1: I refused it out of fear.
0: What what was the fear?
1: The fear was, Christine, here's what I said when I, before I made my decision to reconcile with him, I said, "Well, Christine, The first time you got married, you were 18, pregnant, and stupid. Everybody would have allowed you the out. This time, you're eight years older, you have two children, you've been through an affair. Now you know what you're getting into. Did this man have what it takes for you to have had a a lasting long-term marriage, or did he not? But it's irrelevant, because this time, if you say yes to his proposals for reconciliation... I'm Well, I don't want to hear the word stuck. What I heard is, I'm committed for life. I have an out, yeah, but I will not allow myself an out. It so was, what happened? He kept pursuing, kept pursuing, and I said it was October of 1990. Yes, we'll, we'll, we'll do this again. And I was still terrified of failing at marriage because here I am. I slept with another man. Mm-hmm. You know, I I was the dirty one. I had the shame that covered me, which is another thing with infidelity. Too many people look at the offended, i.e. my husband in this case, as if he's the only one that has to deal with some pains and emotions. That's in the book. But I said, but alas, the cheater, the offender has a whole plethora of emotions to deal with as well. Mm. Shame, embarrassment. Guilt. Guilt? I had to go. You want to know how we got back together? Yes. We met in Wisconsin for his brother's wedding. I had to be surrounded on our first date back. Yes, let's do this for our family. He said, meet me in Wisconsin. His brother, his mother, all these people who looked at me like, oh, you're the whore. You're the one who hurt our son. And I had to humble myself to be seen with all these people. And I had a child who maybe they questioned, was this Danny's child or was this the child of the other man? Which we Mm. knew it was Danny's child. Mm. I knew it. Danny knew it. But did they? How did you endure
0: that? Endure that?
1: Uh, it it took a lot of grace. It took a lot of time. I will say this much. And if you're listening to this and you are either the offended or the offender, you may not want to hear this, but it took me 22 years afterwards to say I'm sorry to my husband. I didn't apologize right away. So how did I endure? I endured with a carrying the guilt and the shame all by myself and burying it.
0: Why couldn't you say I'm sorry?
1: When people have affairs, I'm sure you've done things that you're not proud of in your life. It might not have been Absolutely. marriage. Absolutely. The last thing individuals want okay, is like Okay, for- like I
0: need to ex- ex- explain for mm-hmm. a moment here. My world view is I am not a good person. I try to be a good person. I avidly pursue that, but I know who I am. I'm not a good person. Yeah. And so I my world view, and no one else has to subscribe to this, is that the only person who is good is God, and I am not God. And that gives me a prism, that gives me a paradigm by which I'm able not only to see my own faults, but the faults of others and not judge.
1: I guess that would be humility, wouldn't it?
0: Uh, it, I'm, fr- I'm, a, I'm afraid to claim humility because that in of itself would, not we'll be,
1: it arrogance.
0: <laughs> it would be an arrogance. Yeah. But my, 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 sincerely, my, I'm, I'm revealing so much to an audience right now that I didn't anticipate like you. You and I are revealing a lot of stuff. My worldview is that I know my heart. And, um, and the
1: heart can be evil.
0: Yeah, it can be wicked. Yeah. you know, and so I know the things I did. That's why, one of the reasons I like you so much, Christine, the people I love the most to have on this show are people who are just candid about their screw-ups, yeah. how they have effed up. Of course, <laughs> we all know I am referring to fouled up.
1: Oh, of course, clearly. Of course, that's, you what, are that's PhD. what it means.
0: But, but uh, those are the people I gravitate to and feel comfortable with, and I think are the most redemptive, helping agencies on this planet. Yes, You know, when you go to a triple. Uh, excuse me, not AAA meeting, an <laughs> a, a alcoholic anonymous Mononymous. meeting, an AA meeting, or a, or if you you know anyone who is struggling with anything, we've had people with sexual addiction. The recognition of who I am, what I've gone through, and bearing it is, as you said at the outset right. of this, so liberating. That's why what you are saying right now is so significant. Continue.
1: So. I don't want people to think that only those who have succeeded. My quest is for people to look at those couples in the notebook. Do you know what I'm talking about? Have you seen the movie? Yeah, of
0: course. Nicholas Sparks. Right. I'm yeah.
1: writing an article currently called From Fairy Tale to Notebook. Mm-hmm. Everybody wants the fairytale wedding, and everyone wants the notebook ending. Oh, yes. And no one wants the mess in, between. in the middle. Okay. And if I can be transparent about my notebook ending... Mm -hmm. and say, there was infidelity, Mm -hmm. there was questioning the paternity of my child.
0: Unforgiveness.
1: There was unforgiveness, there was self-loathing. Right. If you can say, but look, I have had couples, individuals come up to me and say, and you and your husband are a super couple, which brings me to tears. Because I started studying those, quote unquote, super couples scientifically, the, ex, those who answered extremely happily married on the Likert scale in my research, those couples always looked unattainable in the minds of people like me or other romantics or probably the typical American mm-hmm. marriage. I'm going to find the right person. My book, I hope, ba- you know, bashes and banishes the concept of a soulmate. Because the American concept of the soulmate is based on this premise that there's a one in a million whom with you meet, it's effortless, and the marriage just kind of flows. Now, where there are different degrees of relational satisfaction, everyone, including every one of these 50 to 100, I recorded 50, about 100 informally, couples went through dark days. A couple went through infidelity. Um, They went through nervous breakdowns. They went through bipolar parents trying to tear up their families. They went through dark days. Mm. But when they get to their notebook ending, it was always forgiveness, humility, and a recognition that, where are my flaws?
0: So tell me about that now in relation to your husband, Danny.
1: It took me writing this book, started getting my doctorate, did my dissertation as humor, as a communication strategy in military marriage, and... 644 people took that survey. It was a quantitative so they had to answer questions. And one question had nothing to do with a humor and it simply said rate your marriage. It was a 7-point scale from extremely unhappy, very unhappy and unhappy to the flip side which was happy, very happy, extremely happy and perfect. And of course my my reason for doing the study was to find out are super couples accidental? Did you just meet your one in a million and sucks to be you, everybody else? Oh, you married your one in a hundred. Hopefully he'll die and you can do it right the next time.
0: And the survey says... Exactly.
1: Or was I going to find that it was things that they said and things that they did and ways of behaving? And I expected to find that they had gotten lucky. But I you know, really hoped to find that they it was the patterns of behavior.
0: Mm.
1: When I read the survey details, out of these 644 people, nine checked off Perfect. And I'm thinking, those are just newlywed couples still having sex every day. They've got no clue what it takes to have a real marriage. So I wasn't even going to count them. But I was more intrigued with this next column that said extremely happy. And for the sake of time, I'm not going to make you guess. 35% of these people who took the survey said extremely happy. Extremely happy. I've been reconciled with my husband for 20 years at this point. I was still not even checking the happy box, but I was committed. hmm And I'm crying at the computer, and I'm going, what does that look like? I just want to know what it's like to be happy, you know? So I had to study these couples, which is why the book The Super Couple, a formula for extreme happiness, came from that. Mm -hmm. Who's extremely happy? That's more than one in three. And if you look at the American marriages today, you would presume maybe 1%, 5%, and everybody else was just okay, happy. So as I started studying these couples, I did see this pattern materialize. And you had touched on it earlier in the show. The formula I found for super extreme happiness, so these super couples, is the acronym SACRED, S-A-C-R-E-D. I was going to use sacred or scared. Mm-hmm. I figured sacred would sell more sells books. Sells a lot more positive. Sells a lot more books. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I did sacred. And I'd
0: rather be sacred than scared any day.
1: <laughs> the first 20 years it was scared. Now it's sacred. <laughs> but the S stands for selflessness. When I interviewed these super couples and 100% of these men, I, I asked the same questions, obviously it's research, of all these couples. And I would always ask, what are the main ingredients and why are you super and other couples are not? of the men would point to their wives. No, it wasn't contrived. It wasn't fake. It wasn't my wife. He would start speaking as if, let me tell you about this woman. Let me tell you what she does. If we're super, it's because of these things that she does, things that she says, things that she is. And the women would not be fake and say, oh, honey, no. No, this is her spouse. They're super. They're extremely intimate with one another emotionally. She would reciprocate. But you know what? He, that's true what he said, but these are the things he's minimizing. So when it was a compliment, they both pointed to the other. Wow. Then I also asked, did you guys ever have any difficulties? Did you ever struggle? Mm-hmm. And as I said earlier in the show, mm-hmm. they had one couple de- dealt with a nervous breakdown of the wife. One dealt with his bipolar mother living, really literally trying to destroy their marriage intentionally. One had infidelity um, and they worked through it. And so... When I would ask about difficulties, every single husband would point to himself. And every single wife would point to herself. So that sacred formula, S-A-C-R-E-D, the selflessness was tremendous. And it had me look at myself and realized how selfish I was. So here we are back together. Mm -hmm. We had our kids. Mm -hmm. Reconciliation, not dealing with infidelity. And I only then recognized how selfish I was. The good thing about affairs, for those of you listening, the best thing you need to know is that it causes you to do some self-analysis. And Danny had to do some self-analysis. But I had to do some self-analysis. And we had to recognize, where did I fail? I recognized my extreme selfishness. And Danny started to recognize his extreme selfishness. So I could tell you the rest of the formula. Please do. uh, Yeah,
0: very briefly. Okay, so A
1: is attentiveness. Yes. Uh, Super spouses pay attention to that which their spouse does well and not in areas in which they fail when you're first dating when you're first married oh alan you're awesome at this my husband's great at that he's good at that but when that love cocktail wears off and that one remember irritability Mm -hmm. or we see things clearly now Mm -hmm. all of a sudden i'm like you know you're such a jerk why do you do this why do you do that and so there you go slamming the door again there you go leaving your shoes at the door again there you go doesn't even have to be big things but in unhappy marriages as in mine i focused on everything that danny failed at and he did me instead of us focusing like super couples on those areas in which our spouses excelled it's a choice
0: so it's right? a, it's an issue of attention
1: Absolutely. Okay. Uh, the chapter was going to be on perception um, because I was noticing how they perceived one another. And John Gottman yes. uh, said the same thing in his thousands of research studies.
0: So S.A.
1: C is communication. My whole doctorate's in communication. There's a largest chapter in here about communication and break it down between gender differences, the male brain and the female brain. There are structural and hormonal differences between the male brain and the female brain.
0: The typical complaint that most women have. He won't communicate. He won't open up. I tell him how I feel. I uh, just uh, go into great detail about what's going on inside me, and he just says, okay.
1: (laughs) Or his favorite emotion, fine.
0: Fine. <laughs> is whatever. that one of your favorite emotion? No, I don't. You're a I, I, I'm, I'm a communicator. That's I think true. that the, the reason my wife married me is certainly not for looks. It's two <laughs> things, and, and and that is I listen, but I also talk. I'm an incessant right. talker. So right. I mean, that's the kind of. Well, and that's
1: what a lot of people think. It's oh, if he listens or talks, that's really not it. It's actually, do I understand? Don't
0: tell my wife that Not now. She's figured it it's, out. It's so what? It's worked well. It I've been having this go for three decades. Come on, don't ruin it. She hasn't gotten smart you're off yet. my You've show. you smart. <laughs> no, continue, please.
1: So. When I talk about the flooding, for instance, the female brain is able, because of the corpus callosum, which sends the messages from the left brain to the right brain, Mm -hmm. let let me back up a little bit. When we're in the womb, we have the left hemisphere, the right hemisphere, the corpus callosum. The the corpus callosum sends messages from one hemisphere to the other. So if I'm thinking about something on my left brain, I'm thinking about finances, it connects to the kids, it connects to the bills, connects to sex, Connects. you can make all these connections. But the male baby... I don't
0: connect bills and sex together. It never happens to me. I do. I'm like, those 50
1: roses he bought me, we could have bought. (laughs) And he's like, but it's all my love. I bought you 50 roses. And I'm like, but I could have paid for it. He's like, I can never please you, right? Which is an exact scenario, actually, for many people. So you have the flooding. So the male brain, while he's in the womb, he gets a shot of testosterone that singes the pathways in the corpus callosum. And now there's some... uh, opposing theories and specifically maybe it's not singeing the pathways maybe it's because the female's corpus callosum is thicker and the male's is thinner so you know don't hold me to the exact theory because those are still in argument but there is agreement that the female's corpus callosum still allows the hemispheres to speak to one another where the male's does not so if a man is single-minded if he's thinking about just sports right now, it takes a lot to move him into another subject. Another sphere or of then, thought. Yeah. yeah so yeah. if you're talking to your Christine about the bills, you're going to stay on the bills. Honey, we need to talk about the bills, right? And she goes, by the way, Alan, um, thinking of the bills, we got to make sure to buy my mom's birthday gift. It's coming up next week. So far as a man, you, you can follow that, I'm tracking, right? tracking, yes. You're tracking. Yeah. But then it's like, oh, speaking of my mom called me, do you know that my dad has, uh, he just sprained his ankle? You know, she. She Tells him not to do that. He walked down that field again and he tripped on that brick. But you know, it's his fault because she told him not to trip on this brick. And women it's like, oh, you know what? We need to There's get bricks to put in front women of our house. Women love
0: narratives. The, the one thing I, I, I you know, I, I'm a chatty man, okay, which makes me somewhat exceptional amongst my gender, in, right. a, at least to the stereotypical concept. But the one thing I'm totally in league with, with my male counterparts and, and fellows, is that women love. From a male standpoint, seemingly unnecessary narratives right. about if They can't they tell you that circular. they bought a dress. They have to tell you all the 15 other dresses they because tried on. Because of the
1: oxytocin and other hormones, the tend and befriend hormones. If I am befriending you, my oxytocin levels raise when we are connecting on details so it's not about the end point it's about the relationship we're building while we're communicating so to a man it might appear that we've got seven conversations going that aren't completed and to the woman it's like i feel good love you pick up a six months later at the same conversation
0: now being the male here, mm-hmm. I'm going to guide us back. So, we're still working on sacred. And we didn't S- get the flooding. Let me yeah, make sure you get the flooding. Let's get the and then flooding we'll go to in the rest sea of the formula. The, okay, here we go.
1: So, the flooding happens when a woman doesn't understand that the man is followed her maybe two topics, but she's just gone three, four, five, like a ping pong ball. Yes. The male's physiology, and Gottman and others talk about maybe fight or flight, mm-hmm. you know, so to protect the male going tilt, 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 and he just shuts down. And a man will tune a woman out so much more readily. And And we women get offended because we're thinking, you're tuning me out. You don't want to listen to me. You don't love me. It's not that at all. He has little control over that flooding that takes place. So she has to, go back to the S in the formula, selflessly understand that the male isn't going to receive as many words, as many messages. Stay on topic. Let it go. Come back to the rest of the topics later.
0: So S-A-C.
1: R-E-D. The R is respect. The definition of respect okay. is having a belief in the higher esteem or worthiness of another person. Right. right. Very important. The E is encouragement. Super couples are the most extremely encouraging of one another. One super spouse, and they all allowed me to use their their names in the book. So Trisha and Jim were the youngest super couple that I uh, interviewed. They were 37, 38 at the time. They had three three four children. And Jim said, Trisha is the most encouraging person I know. He said, I could come home and say, you know, Trisha, I'm going to run for mayor of Virginia Beach. And she would say, wow, that's big. Okay, what are we going to do? Tell me what we, we got to do. A super spouse believes the other is capable of anything they put their mind to. And why? Because extreme happiness is, is the two working together in, in harmony, in symphony. Deepness. D is easy. It's deliberateness. Love, the verb, not love, the noun. Again, intentional. Intentionality.
0: There are men and women who are hearing this and are angry, and they're going to say, you are suggesting I be a sap, and I'm not going to be a sap for that S-O-B, which, as we all know, stands for son of a Barbara. Mm -hmm. Okay,
1: so uh, what are you saying to them? Forgiveness. Humility recognizing that you are just as flawed as your spouse.
0: I'm going to play the line for them. Mm -hmm. Why should I forgive him? Why should I forgive her?
1: Why? Have you ever been forgiven of anything? Keep playing the game. What would you say back? Yes. But nothing that big.
0: I I haven't done what they did. Exactly. Right, yeah, and that's where people get caught. Mm -hmm. We are running to the end of our time, Dr. Bacon, my friend Christine. I want to ask you, What is the most important thing that you want to say to this audience from your heart?
1: Don't give up. 50% of all marriages that endure infidelity go on to have happy, long-term, and thriving marriages. I wouldn't be super with my husband today had I given up on him, had he given up on me 30 years ago. The richness that you will have if you fight for your marriage, the richness you will have having your children... In your house with their father and their mother in the same house is such a beautiful payoff. You will go from fairy tale to notebook. You will have that notebook ending, and your kids and your legacy is invaluable.
0: If you've been with us, you've been listening to Dr. Christine Bacon, uh, one of the best voices in the nation, in my estimation, regarding marriages, relationships, and hope based on fact. Morton Folly her book is entitled the super couple a formula for extreme happiness she is one of the most candid earnest and honest people i know that's why i'm so proud to call her my dear friend and now what is that number where people can get hold of you
1: 757 343 0368 and
0: you hold seminars around the country I do regularly? I do
1: you can hire me to come to your city i will be doing some seminars at the virginia beach convention center soon That's pretty much how I operate. I'll do them here or get hired.
0: And your website?
1: breakfastwithbacon.com. Email me directly at info at breakfastwithbacon.com.
0: Christine, I want to thank you for loving an unknown audience. Thank you.
1: Thank you. I appreciate being on the air.
0: You've been listening to Watching America. The musical theme for Watching America is provided by Razorlight. Our recording engineer is Todd Washburn. Our producer is Paul Bebo. Senior producer is Gina Gamboni. Executive producer Chuck Dow. Chief of content Heather Mazzoni and CEO Bert Schmidt. Watching America is a WHRV production. I am watching America's series creator and host, Alan Campbell. Until next time, take care and blessings.